Ladies and gentlemen, I am so excited to bring on our special guest today on her official book release day on Amazon. And uh, I'm not even going to do an intro. I'm just bringing her right on the show. The author of the new book, Greta Garbage, Kimberly. Miss Kimberly, welcome to the show. How are you today? Oh, Scott, I'm doing so great. And this is such an honor. I am so grateful for you inviting me to be on the show. And I'm thrilled and I'm super excited. And probably exhausted from the anticipation of release day. Oh, you know, (laughs) my poor husband, that's all I can say. Yeah, I've been there. I get that. Uh, you know, I had to, to look back and, and see when we actually met. And if I'm not mistaken, it was either late spring or early summer of 2007. So we've known each other for quite some time now. Wow. Thank you for that reminder. I, I knew that we've known each other for a while, but I had no idea it was that long, Scott. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And I've given up on having any references of time at this point. So if I didn't, if I hadn't had something <laughs> written down based on a project I'd worked on or something, I wouldn't have known exactly when that was. But the exciting thing was we had that great Facebook reminder of our friendship a couple of days ago, which is mind boggling to both you and I. Yes. So what what timing. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? It really is. You know what? What's funny is I have uh, another friend who years and years ago, uh, we we had met. We didn't really know each other, but we connected on Facebook. And uh, I was in Arizona earlier this year for um, for the uh, Comic-Con. And we had lunch. And after we had lunch, she sent me a message saying, we just hit our Facebook friendversary. And she said, but it actually isn't. It's the day that I took her to the hospital in the middle of the night because she had uh, an abscess tooth. And so I that just happened to be the anniversary. And we were having lunch that day. Haven't seen each other in probably three years. Yes. Well, Facebook must know something we don't. So, Which is scary, <laughs> but comforting. <laughs> In a scary way. Comforting in a scary way. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yes. Well, I'm now, of course, I'm going to tell our listeners the same thing I tell our listeners just about every time I bring an author on the show. I have not yet read the book. However, I have read up on the book and I, I, first of all, explain to people uh, what the tight, how the title relates to the book, because obviously it's, it's uh, a play on Greta Garbo. And you have a, a real um, fancy was we did a 48 hour film challenge. In fact, it was the last one that I did called Betsy Boone's Big Bad Day, which was kind of a would you say was it the 20s or the 40s? I can't remember. Well, it I did. It really wasn't time dated in any which way. But uh, it, the, the, that particular film short was written by Don Roth mm-hmm. and it was and Don Roth is also a writer and very successful uh, author himself. But I went to him and wanted uh, something fresh, something different than what had been out there. And at that time, a lot of the celebrities were doing anything, any kind of press to get noticed. Mm -hmm. And typically negative gets more attention these days, sadly. But so that particular film was just an actress who was just trying to do anything possible to be negative, but all her attempts were foiled because people loved her so much they wouldn't let her go that way. Right. So, so it, yeah, it was an interesting play. It was, and it was that was one of the the 
definitely highlights of my 48 hour challenge. I did, uh, if I remember right, I wrote 28 cues that weekend, which I think was the record for anything I'd ever done. But the ideas just kept coming and then, oh, well, what if we did it this way? And okay, I'll change this and make a variation. And it was uh, it was a fun weekend, though. And then uh, we got to see it together at Comic-Con that year. Yes. And, and, you know, a lot of people don't know what goes into a 24 hour or 48 hour film challenge. And, and, and I do want to thank you for the work that you did do with me, because that meant that you believed in me and to give me all of that was really something because there is no money involved, as you know, in all of these challenges, but there is a lot of creative, uh, flavor that goes into it and it's exciting to the to the artist because you get to do what you love and I get to do what I love and then you bring all of these loves together and it turns into yeah if you were backed by a studio for money I don't know if they would all come out as as well because there's so much passion in independent filming. I would agree with that. And on top of that, I would say also there's, uh, you know, you don't have time to do a lot of CGI and things. It's really, it's practical and it's in the moment. And with film studios, I think the tendency is, no, we're not going to pay to shoot that. We'll just do it in post or we'll have special effects take care of that. Uh, You don't have that luxury. So I think it forces you to be creative on a different level too. Yes, it does. And, And I was fortunate to be involved in the film challenges for about eight or nine years every year. And it's the best film school ever. I, I know a lot of the challenges in Arizona have gone by the wayside, but they do need to come back because it it's creative artistry for everyone involved from the sound people to the uh, writers and editors and directors, et cetera for everyone to get together and become a team of successful, like-minded people to produce something that really is good. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, th- th- that needs to come back. I, I highly agree. It's film school in a way that you'll never get it in any other format. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's get back to the book, though, because I have a tendency to get sidetracked. That's very normal for me, especially when I'm talking about, you know, good memories that we have together. Uh, So Greta Garbage, what's behind the title? Greta Garbage is, like you said, a play on words of the she was a 1930s famed silent screen actress named Greta Garbo. And when I was little, my grandfather used to tell me stories about her. He had pictures of her hanging in his hallway and he every time I would be at his house he would tell me how beautiful she was and how alluring and and back then it was the golden era of Hollywood and acting actresses were revered and just stunning and he looked at me and he said sweetheart you're Kimber you're going to be just like her when you grow up and I was so excited. I mean, who wouldn't want to be just like Greta Garbo, especially when you're five years old? Oh, sure. And yeah. yeah, And uh, to me, it was exciting and life changing. And I couldn't wait to go home and tell my mom. And at at two years later, when I came to her at, at this time, now I'm seven. And I'm old enough to understand that I do have a future. And I ran home and I told my raging alcoholic mother this thing that my grandfather had spoken to me because in my child's mind, I believed that it would 
change her life. She would stop drinking. She would get engaged in, in raising me. And, and she looked at me and she said, sweetheart, you will never be anything but a bitch, a Greta garbage. And at seven years old, at seven years old. Yes. And from that moment on, that is literally who I was raised to be. And, uh, I had taken that, that name and I guess I shoved it so far deep inside my being that when I, in the book that I wrote, I had no idea that it was, I, I never thought that I would be writing a book, that I'd be talking to you about the book that I wrote. It's just something that happened. And when I was in the middle of writing it, that, that name just came to the surface for the first time in my adult life. Mm -hmm. And I was thrilled, Scott, because I was like, oh my God, that's the title. That's a book title. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but did it, did it bring up uh, other emotions as well? Is the, did memories come flooding back along with that? Or were you able to kind of separate yourself a little bit from it in that moment? That's a great question because uh, I did separate from it in the first draft of the book. The first draft took me one whole year to write. And I just wrote, 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 wrote. And I took that first version and I gave it to my publisher. And uh, the very next day, my a mentor, his name's Summers White, fabulous man, who's who I've been mentoring under for five years, he asked for a copy of the book and I let him read it. And he said, Kimber, you cannot publish that. And I said, why? And he goes, cause it's awful. And I was crushed. Yeah. I was completely crushed. And I'm like, okay, well, if it's that awful, I'm just not going to finish. And he said, look, there's a lot of bone, but there's no meat to this story. Mm -hmm. And so I took the story and I put it away and I wasn't ever going to touch it again. But then I came down with a really bad case of shingles mm -hmm. and shingles is something that when you have chicken pox as a child, it's derived from the childhood disease. And so I, all I could do was lay on my stomach for three weeks because the shingles had settled in the sciatic nerve. Oh wow! So there, when you have nothing else to do, but lay on your stomach day in and day out for three weeks, <laughs> after the third day, I picked up the book. And I brought it out. And since I was in so much horrific pain physically, I figured, you know what? We're going to go. We're going to go there, Kimber. We're going to go emotional on this book. And I had to get into it. I had to get into the meat and put myself back in that time, put myself back into those words that were spoken and the feelings I felt and all the fear, and all the abuse, and all the memories, as far as I shoved that name down inside, I also shoved down all of the things that I'm saying to you now. Sure. And well, yeah. so... Well, I think that's a defense mechanism, isn't it? It is. It's to keep yourself... I mean, who wants to feel pain, Scott? Nobody. Right. Nobody wants to go back and relive people, places, and things that brought you to like almost the end of your life in certain moments. Mm -hmm. And and I spent a lifetime running away from that story. 
I spent an entire lifetime doing that. And now I had to stop running and not only stop running, but I couldn't even walk. I literally was on my belly, just getting into the raw, raw emotion of pain. That had to be a, a, a helpless feeling on multiple angles, right? Because you physically are kind of helpless. You're trapped on the bed. It's too painful to move around. And then emotionally as well, because all these things are flooding back. You're trying to jot them down. You're trying to organize your thoughts, but you're you're reliving a lot of those moments in your head. Right. And as you know, being in the filmmaking industry, that you know, there's method acting and then there's the kind of acting that you can get in and you can get out of the emotion. Well, I was never that other kind of actor, I was always, uh, in, I believe that in order to describe something or show something, you have to feel it. And it's the same thing with writing, though filming is a little bit different, going there emotionally, but still when the camera's done filming and when the pen is done writing, you're still with living with those emotions. So it took another year to complete the second version, rewriting the entire book mm -hmm. from beginning to end because my mentor said that the book was 90% uh, the opposite way that it should have been. Well, that means a total rewrite. Right. Yeah. So, so to go back and, and do it all over again. So I went through a, a year-long self-inflicted depression <laughs> because I had to go back and I kept telling myself, it's okay. This really isn't, this is done. It's over. You've already gone through this, but then you have to pick up the pen the next day and you have to go back there again. Right. So in the beginning of this interview, when I said my poor husband, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a different layer to that when you understand what it is that you're dealing with. Yes. And he was very, he's extremely, extremely supportive and patient. And though I hid a lot of that pain, I would cry when he would leave the house. He probably, he'll know this now when he's listening <laughs> to this interview. But yeah, there were moments where I cry, I would cry for hours and, and, uh, do everything to pull myself up and out of it. And of course, with a lot of his love, he helped pull me out too. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm glad that you have that support. But do you think that it's not that so much that you're hurting in the present time, it's that you're reliving the hurt from those moments? Right. And also too, in order to, so I believe that I am just the vehicle for many of the messages that came through from the writing because I wanted to really connect with the reader, with someone out there who is in their own pain for someone out there who has had the same experiences or living in it in this now moment. And I don't, I, the last thing I would ever want to do is look in someone's eyes and see and feel that pain from them. So there were many, many blessed moments that came through me to tell the reader mm -hmm. that weren't in the first draft of the book and so glad that my mentor was able to tell me the truth tell me that it was terrible and yeah. 
It's you hard know, to hear to, that though, because you you look to them for uh, an element of approval, and you hope that they're going to read it and go, "Oh my God, I'm so glad you wrote this." And and to hear that sort of rejection, that must have been a very difficult moment. Yeah, it was. It was really very painful, and I felt like a failure, though I knew I wasn't because not many people even get to the first draft of a book. Mm-hmm. A lot of people start and and that's what happened to me. So uh, there are a lot of miracles connected with this book. I, I'm not sure if you're aware, but my story was actually told almost nine years ago in a very, I only got four pages in the book. The book was called Shattering Barriers, Amazing Women's Journeys to Overcoming Obstacles. And the author was Dolores C. Wright. And Dolores, Dolores took my story and her book got published. Well, August of last year, when I was in the middle, I got shingles on August 10th. Two weeks after that, I get a phone call from one of the women in the book. And she told me that Dolores had passed and that Dolores told her to tell me that it was time to write my story. Wow. And I, and I was already writing it. And so uh, there, this book contains many, many, many miracles. Miracles are real. Miracles are for anyone who wants to experience a miracle. And all you have to do, the formula for this miracle is to ask, then believe, to receive. The number two, the believe, that's the challenging one. Yeah. Are you talking about At- on a conscious or subconscious level? I'm talking on any level, any possible level that you can, as a human being, you can feel because, you know, you get up every day and you know, you have to breathe and you know, you have to drink and you know, you have to sleep, right? Right. In order to survive. Well, that is how you, how much you have to believe that the asking, which you asked for will come to you. You and how can you fail, Scott, when you say to the universe, may I have that, which I've asked for, or something greater? Right. Yeah, because, that's the part people forget is the or better. Yeah, the or better because you are loved. And and because you're loved, why would you not be worthy enough to receive? You know, we could go on a whole philosophical uh, <laughs> rabbit hole, but I have to, I, but I, I'll ask you this. I think that there are people out there that have been so programmed and so convinced that they don't deserve it, that they don't have a right to have that love or have those joys in their life, that they sabotage themselves into actually creating that. And that is absolutely correct. And that is the reason why I wrote well, the reason why this book got written and came to its final conclusion, because I I gave up not once, but twice I gave up and uh, something in the forces out there just would not let it happen because I was self-sabotaging, too. Right. We all we all do it. Uh, and, and yes, we can talk ourselves in and out of success. So. You, you have to be fortunate enough to surround yourself with like-minded people, get yourself a mentor and uh, a supportive friend, spouse, sibling, parent, 
what whomever out there to help make sure they take you by the hand and get you down the end of that road. Well, I'm definitely glad that you're still with us to share your story. And I know it's going to inspire a lot of people. But if you think about it, we're kind of programmed to fail. We're, we're shown that you should be afraid to have success because if you do, then you have to do better and better. And what if you can't? What if you reach your dream and then that's it? Uh, you're afraid to fail because if you fail, then everyone will look down on you. So it's better to just sit there and wish you had things you didn't go through your life and bitch about it and complain than try. Right. And that's all negative self-defeating talk. Right. And so when you hear yourself doing that, that you, you, so there's a chapter of the book called forgiveness and I will let the reader find out what that's all about Mm -hmm. once they get the book. But forgiveness isn't just for other people. Forgiveness is also for ourselves, for those self-defeating negative thoughts that we have. Amen. Forget, yeah, forgiveness of not believing in yourself that you are worthy enough and that you are good enough and forgiveness for even believing what other people say about you. Because yes, my mother was a raging alcoholic. Did she want to be? No. Does anybody want to be an addict? No. And her, unfortunately for her and her time, there there wasn't the help available because it wasn't created yet. So what what they used to do back then is they would put throw women in psych wards and give them shock treatments Mm -hmm. to help them forget that they were alcoholics. Well, hello, (laughs) that's not going to work. So we can either believe in ourselves and believe who we are. Or we can believe what other people say who we are and what other people think. And yeah, the negative self-sabotaging begins and ends strictly with you. That's on, right. That's and right. so, yes, and on the island, there's this thing called Kuliani. And Kuliani is simply taking responsibility. Taking responsibility for yourself and taking responsibility for what you think and do and give outside of yourself. And so, yes. You know, I I go with the philosophy of if I can make at least one person smile every day, if other things that are not good have happened, uh, it's still been a good day. Something good has come out of that day. And that that does make me feel uh, a little bit validated, I suppose. But it's more that I know that I've helped someone else raise their vibration and put a little bit of joy in them. And maybe they'll pass that on to some other people. Right. And what you give out is what you get back in life. So why wouldn't you want to give out the good? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you're seven when you approach your mom with your dream and she crushes it and she doesn't change like you're hoping. It, it, I don't want to give away too much that's in the book, but at what point do you get out of that house? I got out. Well, Okay, so I got out. My children were young, very young. My 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 daughter was nine months old when I got out. I was twenty three. Wow! Bef- before I was able to escape, I lit I, and I call it escaping. I probably shouldn't do that because it kind of villainizes my family. But my family, I think I grew up in the best experience I could have for where I'm at right now today. I love that you can look at it that way. Yes, because had they been supportive, I and my grandfather spoke of who I would have been, 
yeah, I would have been that woman, but I wouldn't have been that woman with the many messages that the book contains right now that, and, and, and the book is happening at a time when the, when we are in a crisis and need to believe in something other than what we're seeing, hearing and experiencing on our outer world. Yes. Yeah, very and much so. And, uh, you know, it seems like there's, there's an awakening of empowerment in a way, but I also see so much that just counterbalances that. Right. And that's because you have to be stronger than the counterbalance of it. And social media, it, it's not, it's not socially uplifting. It's more so socially pulling, like you can lift yourself up in the morning and get out of bed and be positive and you can get on a social media site and just as quick as you're up, you can be dragged right back down again. Right. Well, you, you have to be stronger than that, which you're reading and rise above it. And, and you control everything everything. It's your Kuliani to take responsibility for your own feelings, quit giving the responsibility to other things to make you feel good. Right. That is your responsibility. You you can control your external environment to an extent, especially when you're younger, you have a lot less control over it. But as adults, we we have more ability to control it. But you you can control how you react. You can control Absolutely. what you take in, what you allow to become a part of you and what you say that's not right and let go. I'm not, I, I know I'm making it sound a lot more simplified than it really is, but we do have that responsibility once we're aware of that. Right. And, you know, you and I talked about manifesting in a collective consciousness. If we're all thinking that the world's going to become this big shitstorm and please excuse my language, but that's the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Then we're contributing to that storm. Right. If, if with our mass consciousness, those things may perhaps are happening, but you know, if we send good thoughts and do the best that we can do collectively with our thoughts, then we can change some things. Oh, I agree. I mean, there's, there's stories of people that have, uh, you know, surrounded uh, portions of a diseased lake and they all meditate and focus on the lake and the lake actually heals. And there's plenty of documentation of things like that, that I absolutely believe in a collective conscious. And uh, it's interesting that your your friend that had published your story was thinking about you right at the time that you were starting that book. And I, I'm sorry to hear of, of her loss. She sounds lovely. But isn't it interesting, though, that you're still connected? Right. And she had no idea that I was writing it. I, I was never going to write a book. My love is film. Mm -hmm. I just, oh my gosh, if I have a really short story to tell that it is not in the book, but okay. I should have, should have put it in there. I was, um, there's a chapter in the book called him. And it was an experience that I had that I had lived with someone for 18 years that was completely crushing completely crushing. And I made myself so sick over it that I, my body became very ill and I ended up in the hospital for three days. And on the third day, it was Thanksgiving day. And I'm in the hospital alone in a dark room. The curtains are closed. They still don't know what's wrong. I don't know if I'm getting out, if I'm being, if I have to have surgery. 
and I hear all the people around me, they all have their family and you can smell the turkey and the desserts and the joy, but all the joy was on the outside of me. And on the inside, I was completely dying in a dark place. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the phone rings because you're allowed to have your cell phone. And the phone rings and it's from a director. And he says, Kimber, I'm film. I'm making this film. It's called That's Not My Mother. And I want you to be the main character. And you have to play seven different characters in one. And the one character, the main character was a Belphegor female who went in and out of identities to mm-hmm. capture her prey. Okay. Do you know that after I hung up the phone, I sat up in bed, <laughs> I flipped on all the lights and I, I released myself from the hospital that day. <laughs> wow. See, it's, it's amazing how a shift in our attitude or, or energy can change so much within us. Yes, because it's, if, if, something ignites your soul and lights it on fire you you know it just it it does it goes through the cells and the cells start to be to wake up because the cells inside your body have a life consciousness and Mm -hmm. they'll they'll do just what you tell them to do they're just waiting for you to talk to them and we talk to them with like we talked earlier in this podcast about self-defeating thoughts and talking yourself in and out of you know emotions and yeah they they want to they want you to tell them what to do so when I was laying there going I'm sick I'm sick I don't feel good my body's going okay we'll lay down with you Mm -hmm. but but then but then when I have information that's new information about something that I absolutely love every cell became alive and 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 worked in unison to get my the inside of me going up and out of that room. Right. You know what I what I imagine in my head when I'm talking to myself in in any way about my body. Uh, if I if I think I don't feel well today when I wake up or I feel good today, I always imagine hearing my body telling me, "Yep, you're right." So whatever I tell it, it's going to go, yep, you're right. So if I say, you know what, I don't feel well today, my body goes, yep, you're right. And it's going to make sure I don't feel well today. So why would I say that? Right. But, you know, and 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 to balance all the energy out, we are human beings. And we will and do have bad days. And that's okay. But you just can't stay there. Yeah. You know, it's it's okay to pamper yourself a little bit, but get up and get moving. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And what I find ex- especially interesting about you and knowing you as as well as I have for these years, so you grew up in this environment. You didn't get out until you were 23. You spent another 18 years in another stifling relationship, yet you decided that you did have value somewhere along the line because you did start auditioning. You did start creating projects. You did start getting roles and getting on film. Yes, but that's the miracle part of it, because I never went looking for anything that ever happened to me. And that's where you're going to have to read the book. That's interesting. So, yes, every opportunity that came to me was placed in front of me. And there's a reason for that. And that is the real meat and potatoes in the story, which is another thing I won't reveal in this podcast. Sure. But I, there, I always knew from the age of five, 
that I had worth and value because of this one piece of the story that cannot be said unless you read it. Right. But I had to keep, I had to take that information and keep going with it, though the things around me were showing me differently. And that's the part that's difficult and challenging. But when those opportunities did come, you didn't go along the track of the way that your mother would, would had made you feel by saying you're never going to be anything but a bitch. You took the opportunities that came to you and you did something with them. I think a lot of people would have gone the easier route and just said, no, you know, I, I, I'm not good enough for this or I can't do that or, you know, whatever, because they would have listened to that programming as opposed to the programming you got when you were five. Well, what I did was I listened to both programmings Mm -hmm. and I knew I was worthy, but doing it not, how do I say this? Yeah. I, I, I lived in a duality of thinking I'm worthy and thinking I'm not. And a lot of times I was blessed showing that I was worthy, but there were the equal amount of times when a project either didn't turn out, never got finished, never got recognized. Uh, Yeah, there were many moments, but you know what you do? You just keep going. Well, yeah. And I think a lot of that had to do with the environment that you were in too, because at the time that you and I were, were very heavy into the Phoenix filmmaking community, a lot of the projects were, everybody would get excited about doing the project, but then when it came to the post-production side, they were too excited about the next project and they didn't finish them or they couldn't find the money to finish them. And uh, I think at one point, they, they somebody had said to me, it was about 89% of the films that are made in Phoenix don't get finished. And that's disheartening, you know? It is, and it is true. And I've done so many that were so good, very unique, that, that never did see the light of day and that's okay because if if they were supposed to they they would have Mm -hmm. but the ones that did I'm great so grateful that I even got that little bit because because of my mother saying those things to me and not just once or twice but daily and taking daily beatings for uh, just breathing, you yeah. know, when you, when you live with an, a raging alcoholic, you don't have to do anything wrong to get beat. No, you just have to be and, in the way yeah, or, or in the and, line of sight. Yes. And it's, it's, uh, yeah, li- life was <laughs> very interesting. I think it's a miracle that I did live as long as I lived. And I now know why, uh, because this for this, for the many messages that are in the book that came through me, not from me. And I think that's important that, mm-hmm. you know, that differential. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I definitely believe that this is going to help a lot of people and it's going to show a lot of people that they have the ability to control their life, which is the most important thing that we can know. Well, there, I think the two most important things are that, and also the fact that we have the the right and the value to do it. You know, the only Absolutely. person that, that can tell you you don't have value is you. Oh, amen. Like you can have somebody, I've had that screaming in your face, pushing you up against the wall and doing things that are unspeakable. And yeah, that that's not nice. And, no. that's, and that's all them. And yeah, you can either believe it or you can bless them. Look, I'm, I'm so sorry that that's 
who you are. And I know that's not who you want to be. Right. And that's the part where the forgiveness comes in. I hope everybody reads that chapter and understands that chapter wholeheartedly, because uh, if you do not forgive, you bind yourself to eternity to this person by an invisible umbilical cord and they will control your life. Why do you want that? Exactly. And, and part of that I think comes with finding that you, you do have more value than you think you do. Uh, You'll want that less and less, but I think there is a fine line and I'm really interested to get your thought on this. There's a fine line between forgiving somebody and forgetting their actions. Well, you have to forget because, again, like I said, do you really think that anybody in a human existence really wants to be that way? Well, no, but as far as exposing yourself to their ways, uh, I, I mean, I like to forgive people for what they've done, but I don't want to completely forget it because I don't want to put myself in that line of fire thinking that they've changed. Yeah. And you know what? My husband, so I've been married two years now Mm -hmm. and my husband has taught me a really valuable lesson about that. He said that when something happens to you, you talk about it to a professional, a life coach, whomever you sit and talk about it, you work it out and then you move forward and you leave that behind. Mm -hmm. You have to leave it in behind because that prevents you from 100% fully moving forward into the new moment. Because all these moments are experiences. They're here to teach us lessons. We're here to learn from them and we have to move forward. And I believe that since I've met my husband, I have busted those barriers to be able to leave all that behind. Because when you do the law, the act of forgiveness is what I call it, then you have truly forgiven. And when that little nagging thought comes up to remind you, like you said, you can't forget. And it starts tapping you on the shoulder going, here I am again. Remember what I did to you. You simply stop it and say, no, I forgave that of you already. Thank you for the reminder to keep moving forward. That's really powerful. Yes. My brother taught me that when I was going through a really rough time uh, after my eight 18 year relationship was uh, lost. So you do, you have to move forward. And I, there are some people that are in your lives just for those little valuable lessons to get you to the next level. Yeah. I I definitely agree with that. Um, Let's get to a happier note and talk about the exciting thing that you told me uh, before we started recording. The book is currently available in Kindle on Amazon. There is a print version, but it's been it's it's already uh, beyond capacity of ordering. So you're going to have to wait a little bit to get the print version. But that's great because that means that people are interested, excited. They want to read it. And and how does that make you feel? OK, well, how do I feel? <laughs> My husband would tell you, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm all over. I'm truly overwhelmed with the deepest gratitude because I from the experience that I talk about in the book of why I knew I was worthy I every day since the book went on Amazon I've asked why me 
why why did this happen to me why am i the person <laughs> and it's it's when i ask that question the overwhelming feeling that comes through my body and the tears just start flowing and i can't even put it into words it's an indescribable feeling of and joy's not proper and happiness is improper it's just and yeah is it is it kind of maybe that it's just filling up your heart right now oh yeah and filling it up to where it overflows and what happens is when you have that much love when it comes pouring from all places into your heart and it starts to overflow well where does that go that goes out into the world and so I, again, I ask, why me? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, I just feel super, super blessed. Well, the thing is, is that you had the inclination and you acted on it. And when it wasn't time to finish it after your mentor had said it wasn't right, uh, you found the right time and you picked it up again, because if you would have tried to fix it in that moment of, you know, the, the feeling of letting you know your mentor down and it letting you down, it would have been a completely different book. So I'm glad that you put it away, that you picked it up when it was the right time for you to move forward with it. Because I think as artists, we want to get stuff out there. We want to, you know, we have an idea, we want people to experience it. And uh, sometimes we need to take a step back and wait for the product to come out the best that it can. Absolutely. And with Dolores's passing, I mean, she had no idea I was writing the book. And as long as Dolores was alive, I was never going to write a book because she already had the story. Right. And, uh, but it was super, super condensed, like microscopic yeah. point of the story. But with her knowing that she was crossing over and talking to Cece Berardi and having Cece call me, and saying, Kimber, what are you doing right now? And I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you, Cece. And <laughs> and I, I said, I'm in the, I'm writing a book. And she said, what? Oh my God, that's why I'm calling you. Dolores passed, and she wanted to make sure that I told you. Please tell your story. It's time. I love. And it. so, as as a life is leaving, and a new life is beginning. A new journey of life is beginning. It, it's there are no accidents in the universe. No, there really aren't. And the obvious follow-up question to all of this, now that this book is out and you're you're taking a deep breath because you're done, are you going to do a second one? Yes, <laughs> I already started it. My mentor said, "Kimber, oh my gosh, you're like a woman that just gave birth, and she wants to hurry up and have another baby, and she hasn't even tried that baby on." <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a great analogy right there. Uh, yes. He told me to, to try this baby on for a while. But um, as what happened with the first book, all this inspiration, just waves of it coming. And I'm getting goosebumps right now, which I know is validation for what I'm saying. I did start book number two. It's already in outline form. And it really so it's part of the book that I just wrote, but because the the uh, book Greta Garbage has some negative negativities to it that were great lessons, but yet still negativities, 
The second book is all about the purity of love. And I just didn't feel like they worked together. Sure. Yeah. And so the second book is truly the journey into pure, unlimited love. And that book is going to be called In the Streets of Puako. That's where I that's where I live in Hawaii. And it's a real, real love story. That's awesome. Well, I look forward to that as well as reading this one. And I, I love that you're, you're it's so in touch with it. And I would imagine that there's a lot that you learned through the writing and then the revamping process of this book that's going to make that second book a lot easier to write. Plus, it's, it's oh. just healthier subject matter for you as an individual. Right. Who doesn't want to be in pure ultimate love every day rather than the other? That's why I couldn't put it all together in one book. It just didn't feel right. It's okay. It, it And it's going to be a beautiful story. Um, I'm very, very excited for it. And this has been an amazing journey. I encourage anybody out there listening to understand that you can have anything that your heart desires. All you have to do is ask for that or something greater believe that you are worthy, that you will receive no matter what, when you ask in that manner. That's right. Well, I, uh, I want to talk to you about a couple other things and wow. I mean, this podcast is already 45 minutes long. I just, I always enjoy talking to you and this is such good subject matter, but, uh, before I want to talk to you about some of the films that, that you've worked on, but before we do that, tell us a little bit about the wow factor. Okay, The Wow Factor is a program that I created with the help of my mentor, Summers White. And in a nutshell, because we are on a time limit here, the best way to describe it is if when you're talking to people and telling them about who you are and what your life is about, if they're not exclaiming, saying back to you, wow, then you need to come and see me. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) See, I just did it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's because good. if if they're saying wow and it's not a good wow, then you definitely need to come see me. But uh, yeah, it's 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 how to live your life uh, in three ways: sight, sound, and feeling. And uh, so that's the the nutshell version and of how, the wow factor. And how horrible to have to go to Hawaii to see <laughs> <you>. right? <laughs> or or I will come and see you. But if you go to my website. KimberAlee.com. It's all one word, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-I-G-H.com. There are some testimonials on the second page of the website about the wow factor, about the people whose lives have changed from experiencing it. Excellent. And of course, I'll have those links uh, in the show notes, as well as the Amazon link to purchase your book, which you can get right now on Kindle and hopefully by tomorrow uh, back on paperback. The flood of orders has been handled (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and and it's back to be uh, being available, which, which I think is just an awesome way to start off. Uh, now, you've worked on a lot of films as an actress. You've done some directing as well. And you talked about method a little bit er- earlier. Uh, I just saw that uh, Ashley C. Williams had posted, and I bring this up because you've done some horror films. Uh, Ashley C. Williams had posted that we've reached the 10-year anniversary of The Human Centipede which I can't believe it's been that long. But when I think back on it, yeah, it probably has. And she talked about uh, Dieter, who was the uh, the antagonist in the film, how he was very method. 
He did not eat with them. He did not talk to them. Uh, how do you feel about having that kind of distance? Does that help in some cases, especially when it's it's like an extreme villain heroine situation? Yes, it is. And and when you put your feet, all your feeling into it in your entire being, it's a really lonely existence. And people tend to take that as you're too good for them or you're snobby or whatever. But when you want to just dive right into it, you can't take, you can't just put one foot in and leave a foot out. Mm-hmm. You're either all in or you are all out. And I'm not taking away from the people that know how to get in and out of emotions because I I can't remember the, the particular name that is the opposite of a method actor. If you remember it, please let me yeah, know. I'm trying to think of it. I Yeah, I can't think of it. And, and I'm not taking away from that. I wish I could be like that but I don't know how. All I know how to do is to get right into it. And so whether you're writing a book, whether you're doing music like you do, because also also that takes all of your emotion. Yes. To, you, you want the person that's reading, seeing, hearing your artwork to feel that emotion. So I feel, I feel for the method actor and... Uh, yeah, it's a very difficult, lonely world to you, you, you're either all in or you're all out. That's all I know. Yeah, it just I, I, I guess if I if I'm the bad guy and I know I have to kill somebody or do something really evil to them in the movie, it would probably be harder. And, and, and I say this knowing that I am not an actor, it would probably be harder for me to you know, hug them, you know, the day before or whatever, knowing what I have to do to them and then having to do it in the film. Uh, But this is with no acting training or anything like that. I would think it would be easier to be separate from them. And then you have kind of no qualms. I don't even know this person. I'm sure they're cool, but whatever. I got to go do my scene. Uh, I think, but it would be very hard for me to be hurtful to someone, even in a movie. Yes. And yeah. And when you take on roles, so early on in your career, you're just excited and you'll do anything to get the experience. But then there comes a point in your career or in the artistry where you realize you are responsible for the roles that you take and for what your audience sees. So it's a double edged sword of, uh, you know, especially in film. Is this the right film for me? And, you know, so I, I love film. There is none of that. Well, there is some of it here on the island, but I'm not privy to it. But Mm -hmm. my heart and my soul loves the Phoenix film, independent film community beyond any shadow of a doubt, because that those are, there are some awesome, creative, talented people in Arizona, and I wish them all the best, and I hope someday they do get recognized as a community, and when they do, I hope I'm still there yeah, <laughs> as a part I, of that. I agree. I still have a lot of wonderful, dedicated friends back there. I just had uh, Melissa Ann Marie Farley on the show not too long ago, and uh, just so many great people there. But I don't know if you know this, but you and I actually worked on a film together recently. And I haven't seen you in a few years, but we actually did. I uh, did a couple of scenes with Diana Davis with Movies Making a Difference doing a cult cartel. Yes. 
Aloha, Diana Davis, and also Aloha, Melissa Ann Farley. Yes. It's been forever. Well, Diana came out to the big island to see me. And uh, yes, we, well, I didn't know you were there. You're in it too. Oh my God. Yeah, they shot uh, for a couple of days here in Vegas because as part of the story goes, the character was dumped off uh, here in, in the downtown area. And so I was part of one of those scenes. And it's interesting me just saying I have a hard time being mean to somebody because I played sort of a henchman. And I had to be very, very just cold and uh, condescending a little bit, but mostly just, I don't care what I'm about to do to you. I don't care that I'm dumping you off in the city with no money in your pocket and really no way to survive. And that was really hard for me. Um, But it was so, you know, how do you not want to be a part of something that Diana Davis does? Absolutely. She is. I was in one of her, the other films that she made, uh, Cathedral Canyon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I was very, very honored when she, uh, invited me to, to come back and play again, because when you get invited back, that means they do love you when they do like working with you. So that's always exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And just, if you don't get invited back, doesn't necessarily mean that, that you aren't loved. Uh, a lot of that, it really depends on the project. Uh, but were you, so did you shoot in Hawaii or did you shoot in Colorado city? We shot in Colorado City. My husband came with me. It was his first time on a film set. And Ooh. yeah, we just had a blast. It was a lot of fun. I'm excited for Diana and looking forward to seeing the movie. And and hopefully we'll, we can all get together at the uh, premiere. I'd love that. Yeah. She's, you know, for, for those who aren't familiar with her, uh, her company, Movies Making a Difference, has helped countless people get away from polygamous communities. She's helped prosecute some of the people in those communities. Uh, several friends of mine that I've met through her, just absolutely wonderful people that were put in a situation that they should have never been put in. And uh, it's great to see that what she does actually really does make a difference. It does make a difference. And I am uh, contributing monthly to her cause because I do believe in it. And I commend her for all the energy she puts out there to help save these younger ones. Uh, When I was out there struggling again, there, there weren't programs available like there are today. Today, people have so many opportunities and so many ways to get help. So if they're not getting help, yeah, either just look, reach out, find somebody, something, some programs, someone to help you do not stay stuck and get out of fear as quickly as you can. Yeah. You know, when I saw Cathedral Canyon, uh, which I hadn't actually seen uh, until last year, but it until I had seen that and talked to some of the people while working on this project with Diana, I had no idea what that world was even like. I didn't know very much about polygamous communities, about how they're, uh, how they handle things, the hierarchy, any of that. And I was just, I was in shock. I mean, I shouldn't be because I know that stuff like that exists, but at the same time, it brought a reality to me that I never expected. Right. And to the extent of the treatment of these children, because I didn't see the movie Cathedral Canyon until Diana came to my house a couple of months ago and she brought, yeah. And she brought the movie for me to watch. And I was in shock. I had no idea, but, uh, for both her and I right now, the timing is right to bring to the surface things that are, that are happening 
and how to deal with those moments, how to get help, where to go for it, and what to really believe in that's happening to the world today. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all want change. I think we want the world to just be a better place. It's a, it needs to be. <laughs> but we also need fun stuff. And I know that you've done some horror movies. In fact, you and I worked together on a movie years ago. I think it was in, I want to say it was either 2007 or maybe 2008, uh, called The Bad Place, which was written by Brian Keeley and directed by Jay Lee. And you uh, starred opposite Aaron, Ginn's, Aaron Ginn Forsberg. And uh, he and I used to joke around that if any, either one of us made it onto Leno, the other one would send a clip of that movie. <laughs> it was just it was it was a fun project it was a little bit uh you know looking at it now um it, it was it was kind of haphazard the way that it came together but uh of course our friend uh michael harrelson the wonderful michael harrelson was also in that and uh do you have some good memories of uh shooting that project i do i remember it now i believe i played a pregnant woman you did yeah Yes. And uh, the only scene that I can recall right now talking about it was the cab scene as I drove away from the house. Yes. And, I which is, I scored yeah. that scene six different times. And, oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah, that was that was it was a fun movie to work on. It, for me, it was also a very frustrating project. But uh, just because on, on the post-production end, it was somewhat disorganized. But, you know, it was the first time that I got to write music for you on screen and you gave me a lot to work with. I mean, it, it, especially as a horror actress, it's really draining physically, emotionally to have to cry, to be upset, to stay in that moment, take after take. And you did it in spades. Well, I, I'm good at crying. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be my forte. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully oh for going forward, only happy tears, of course. Oh, of course. Yes. Since the this all has happened with the book, I find myself doing crying at the drop of a hat, but it's out of pure joy. So, yeah, you know, that's the thing is, I think that uh, if if you're doing good things and things that really nail your your natural vibration, I think that it will happen a lot. You'll look at something and just out of nowhere you'll start to well up because you you have one pinpoint memory or someone will say something about how they were inspired by you or they uh, felt better about themselves and their position in life because they read something that you've said. When uh, when one of my friends told me that she added some of my mental sauna music to her uh, birthing list, I was, I was shocked. I'd never thought wow. of, of that. And I thought you chose to bring your baby into your world or into the world listening to something that I created. That's I, there's what's a better compliment than that? Yeah, that is absolutely beautiful. It that is. is beautiful, and and your work is really good. Didn't we work on another film I directed? Didn't you score that? I it was there was, but I couldn't think of what it was. Yes, I, hold on. It was written by Ryan. Uh, oh my goodness, not Ryan Pearson. Oh, he's going to kill me if I don't mention his name on the radio. Oh, well. It wasn't the I one will. with Rory and Sally and Francis? Rory, yeah, Rory Pierce and Questions. Sally and Friends. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot yes. about that. Oh, yes. that, I had such a good time doing that one. It was such a comedic and quirky little movie. It was. And I, yeah, thank you for doing that because you did such a great job. Unfortunately, I don't know why that film never went 
further. I don't know if it ever showed in any of the uh, festivals locally around the Phoenix area, but that was another one that you did, and you did such a great job oh, at thank it. Thank you. Yeah, and I had a lot one, of fun. It's one of the few films I have on DVD that I've done. <laughs> well, <laughs> and thank you for trusting me with that because that you know I don't know if people really realize that that is a huge um, trust factor for a director to say you're going to control the emotion of my film by how you direct the music. And even though that you can say, okay, I like this piece, I don't like that piece, or I like this piece, but could you make it happier? Could you make it more dramatic? I mean, there's a lot of work that goes into that uh, relationship that we have, director-composer, but it really is a lot of trust to say, you're going to come up with tones, you're going to be telling the emotional side of my story, you're going to be, basically, you're going to be the waves that my actors work off of. That's huge. Yes, that is huge, and trust is key, because... It, when you go into any project or any uh, new part of your life, when you go in with the best attitude, knowing that it will that it will be the best product, you will get that ask, receive, believe. That's I mean, right. ask, believe, receive. I'm sorry. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, a few years back, somebody had asked me to do their college thesis project. They wanted me to compose for it. And so, of course, you know, I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And when they sent me the film, and they, they, we didn't have a chance to have a discussion about the film beforehand, but when they sent me the film, I realized the power that a composer really has because I didn't know what the film was supposed to be. If I look at it one way, it was a comedy. If I look at it another way, it's a drama. And I could even look at it a third way and see it as a horror film. And I realized in that moment that I could control that with the musical direction. I could change that film from one thing to another just with the music. Absolutely. And the other thing that I wanted to share, too, about independent filming is all of our uh, films that we do, whether they're horror films or comedies or true stories, whatever they are, they, they come from the real passion of, of telling a story of just uh, art, the, the, the magic of art. And that's why I'm so drawn to independent film, because there's no hidden agendas and there's just it's just pure creations from a, a thought from an absolute thought that's beautifully said that's so true absolutely so true uh i could be wrong but i did look up uh the difference between method acting and non-method acting and it's the only headline i could find just says the difference between method acting and classical acting yeah, there was a program that was being, so at one point in my career in Arizona, there were uh, methods being taught, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was how to get in and out of character. And again, I, I'm i so jealous of those people that can do that. But the the only method that I was aware of that I knew of was Stanislavski's, the the way of the method actor. Right. And yeah. I read, yeah, I read a lot of those books and, and, and so you just jump in and you get dirty with it, with emotion. Right. I think that's the real trick, whatever it takes you to be able to connect with the character that you're playing so that the audience believes you are who you're supposed to be. As long as you're not hurting anyone in the process, go for it. Yes. Yeah, so and however, and whatever, it takes for you to convince the audience that's really the key. 
It doesn't matter what the title of the acting is called. Mm-hmm. It's just to make your audience believe you. Absolutely. Because you you can't lie to the camera. The camera is the one piece of technology on earth besides the human eye that can really go right down to the depths of the soul and can tell whether you're faking it. Very true. And I, there's definitely performances that I've seen where I thought either this actor is really terrible, this director is really terrible, or they really don't want to be here. It's some, I had to do this under my contract for the studio, or I'm only doing this because if I do this, then I'll be able to do the film I really want to do. You really can sense whether the actor's being a genuine actor or not. Right. Well, I just love the art of filmmaking, and I'm grateful to Diana Davis for giving me an opportunity, though I don't live in Arizona anymore. And I pray that another opportunity knocks on my door because it's to, for me, it's cheaper than paying a therapist by becoming somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) I've never thought about it that way, but that makes good sense. Yeah. I like that. If if I can escape myself for a few days and be somebody else, that is so much fun. (laughs) Well, before we go, let me ask you, uh, you know, I have, a real difficult time letting go of a project after it's over. Uh, Even when the work is done, whether I love the project or hated the project, it's really hard for me to end it in my head. Uh, Do you find that you're able to let go of a character after you've spent, you know, three or four weeks rehearsing, doing readings, blocking all that? Is it, is it easy for you to say, okay, that was fun. What's next? Or do you kind of, is there some part of you that wants to hang on to who you created? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's like if you give if you create a human being that you have a baby, you're not going to you don't want to give it away when it grows up. Mm-hmm. So you just you, that it'll always be a part of your being a part of your creation that put that character will always mean something to you. But one of the tricks that I have found that works for me is I have three and four things in the foreground waiting for me so that it's easy to slip out and emotionally let go so you can give your emotion to something new. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. So you always have plan A, B, and C working all moments of, of, of your life so that you can keep creating. And then, and then you don't get stuck and you don't get sad and you don't miss anything. You, they will, that, and you can carry all those characters with you in your heart. Then they never go away. Oh, I love that. That's so true. Well, Kimber, it has just been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I really appreciate you making some time for me. Uh, Folks, the book is available on Amazon and Kindle right now. Hopefully tomorrow the paperback will be available. Uh, Now, I don't know when you're listening to the podcast, but I'm saying this on Sunday, September 1st of 2019, the day of the release of the book. Kimber, I'm so excited for you. Congratulations on the release. And really, uh, there's a lot of successes along the way of a project. The fact that you decided to do it, the fact that you wrote the first draft, the fact that you picked it up again, so many little successes. Uh, but I want, uh, I want the biggest success to be in the number of people that you touch with your story. Thank you so much. And one thing I almost forgot to mention, and it just hit me is that we, I will be having the, my very first book signing in Arizona on September 26th from five thirty to wait, five to eight thirty at Newman Eye Center, and uh, I will be creating a Facebook events page 
for anyone who has bought the paperback that wants to have it signed. We will be giving away a bookmarker, uh, the same cover as the book, and uh, a the book stickers and pens and all kinds of nice little fluffy giveaways for those who would like to have the book autographed. Oh, very fun. That's going to be a fun day. Yes. So it'll be, please watch any social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and uh, we'll be posting it over and over. And the book will be out by then. So please bring it and bring it down. And I would love to spend a few moments with you. Excellent. Well, congratulations, Kimber. I wish you the absolute best of success. We'll also see you in Cult Cartel coming out hopefully before too much longer. I think they're they're getting close to uh, finishing one of the phases of post-production. So I'm very excited that I got to work with you again, even though I didn't get to work with you. <laughs> well, here we are working together again, even though we're not together. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, all the way from Hawaii, aloha, my friend. I hope that you have a beautiful rest of the day and congratulations on your book. Thank you so much. And then so much aloha to you, Scott. Thank Thank you. you. Take care.